Hello, and welcome to the Creative Playing Podcast Network. Join us as we get to share some great convention panels we were able to attend at CocoCon 2019 up in Phoenix, Arizona. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Since, since we're early, as we want to be, and no one can stop us, this is when you may ask me anything. And does anyone under 18 in this room? <laughs> 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 so cheeky. Um, Within reason, you can ask me anything. If you actually get me brought up on charges, I don't care. So, I do. And I always have to ask the age because I did that for a panel, I think it was at Phoenix Fan Fest. And one of the first questions out of the gate, I was like, you can't ask that in mixed company. There's a 12 year old right next to you. <laughs> what are you thinking? Two in the afternoon. No one has time for that. It's too early in the day for that kind of cheese. Please don't pay for all the food. Hello, welcome. Now, leave those questions for no earlier than five in the afternoon. It's for the gin hour or later. Does anyone know about gin hour? Gin a.m. Gin a.m. In Scotland, they have a very charming tradition of that reason everywhere. We have tea, of course, at two, and then after tea, around four or five, you have gin hour, and then you have dinner with wine, and then apparently you have champagne with the delightful gentleman upstairs, and then apparently you have rum with the rum merchant, and after the rum, apparently it's whiskey hour, but I don't remember that hour as well. <laughs> Yes. Yes. So, madam, we're going to the next time you'll be up in Phoenix. Oh, possibly. Excellent. 
fashion show. A fashion show and with the auctions. Yeah. Silent auction. Silent auction and raffle. These two are responsible for. Yes. And I love the raffle. She did very well in the raffle last year. You got the big. I, I may be going to yes, my flight like, uh, 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 to my compatriot. Oh. That's how I got here. Coco Pot. I got tickets. <laughs> like, I Twist some shirts? Yes. Highly entertaining. Brilliant. Good. 
good to go over. You know, we got here early and we've just been chatting about passions and you know corgis. Turtles. And turtles. We're not going to discuss the corgis this until after cocktails. <laughs> whiskey hour.
And we both fell in. Yes, steam pumped hard. Roughly a decade ago, it bruised. But it <laughs> stuck. So did the gears. <laughs> I can't imagine where the gears would get. Victorian cosplay. Yes. So <laughs> the Victorians were like, you know, 
know, the 1700s. The 1790s. Really great fashion. Yeah, and I also like the 1760s. And they just, they did that sort of shepherdess, polonaise thing. What if we brought that back? We should do that. I mean, <laughs> love it. We can all wear it. It was like a fad that went for a few years. Um, and uh, so it's, it's an interesting garment in that it's all one piece. It's There's all one piece. Two. Well, you have the arms. Right. But the dress, the overdress. It's all one piece as opposed to a separate two Two piece maneuver. <laughs> Kick it out. Yeah, I'm stepping on that train. Do you need me to come fetch your train or should I get that corgi? I'm really sorry about not bringing our hydraulics <laughs> back with us for that one. So, yes. Um, so the other thing about the Polonaise is that it's, it comes from Polish fashion. And in the 18th century, they were like, you know, those Polish facades are so stylish. Love the leopard, shoulder leopard, the wings, very good. We should take their coat and turn it into a dress, as you do when you're French. And so the English were like, well, that's pretty good. We'll do it too. Why not? The French are pretty keen. And then there was like death destruction, you know, lots of people losing their heads. And the English were like, no. Polonaise. <laughs> and uh, so it sort of went into like a little bit of a, uh, into the recesses. And then by the 1870s, they were like, you know, the guillotine's not all that bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's funny, there's a lot of charm. The hussars are really lovely, still doing the wings, still with the leopard over the shoulder. Not certain that's great, uh, you know, logistically in an actual cavalry charge, but... You do, you Poland. <laughs> and, um, Keep you warm in the wintertime. Well, that's right. And apparently the wings actually are terrifying. So, you know, if you go to see some lovely drag queens and um, they do that gorgeous snap with their big fans, because I lust after the wrist action to do it, because I clearly this is very sad. That sad. That fan has no... But anyway... The hussar wings, which are over their heads like this, we really need some to make our polonaise really pop. <laughs> the hussar wings are like this. And when you're riding in on a horse, they actually make that snapping sound like a horde of drag queens coming in. <laughs> and I hear it's terrifying. And they just put fear into the hearts of, you know, the Russians and so they did. And the French and the Belgians were not very keen, and Lithuania was like, no, <laughs> run away! <laughs> the hussars are coming, and they are giving us side eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, um, without the wings, the Pol Polish dress gets, tr gets translated into France, then gets translated again by the Victorians, and this is what you get, our lovely Polonaise, sans wings. You really need wings, for, especially for Wild West Queen. I knew that when you were Wild West Queen. I know! Yes. What is so good! I just want the kind that like flap in the breeze with terror. So good. Um, snap. Yeah, snap, 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 snap. Yeah. We're coming for you. Do you. I feel like we could make that happen. Maybe I'll just put really big fans on the back and just like snap them at people. So, right. So this is 
Hold on a second, I can see the rise of the Valkyries in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Creating a black hole on the inside <laughs> and 
sending me. Down, right? A lot of down and up, as you can see. So then having this little, you know, this tiny little addition just sort of emphasizes that. And then when I rock, your temple swaps. You can't take your eye away from it. Because it's just like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's there. It's, look at that. No, yeah. no. Oh, my God. <laughs> Temperance, that look. Interfacing to make this very smooth, tailored look. 
So, is there traditionally, does it matter whether it's just to the waist or longer than the waist? Or um, so it's Baby, a, do you stop at the belly button? Is I what mean, I, I stop at the belly button with mine. With Temperance's, we made it longer, but she's... Oh, well, I have a longer waist, though. You have a shorter waist. I'm sorry, but yeah. I like the longer... You like the longer waist. Yeah. Whereas I'm like, no, show yeah. off to the lower parts. That's <laughs> really good. That's um, where the corgis <laughs> yes, madam. Yes, yes, Mr. Stanford's very close to the shoulders. Right. Um, Everything's so. very snug and very tailored. So this is the internal structure. You can see. Oh, I, I missed a proof. I shall have to finish it with this safety pin. It's very efficient. So you can see that. They pulled up the poofs on tapes, and that is really taken right out of the Victorian playbook. Um, and part of why I like the tapes is because when I want to clean it, I can just pull out the pins, or if you wanted to be historically accurate, you'd have actually tack it and then snip your threads every time you wanted to clean it. But I'm lazy, so I use safety pins. No, pills. you have involuntary. Time travel, and you can use other means. That's right. Now, I've heard some people say they use snaps, but have you ever <laughs> sewn in a snap? No. So boring. Just going around and around in a circle forever. So I'd rather use safety pins, because snaps bore me. So, yeah. So there's no boning at all in this? Not in this one. Okay. There is in my other bodice. Here, let uh -huh. me take this. So... Um, there's no boning, but there is actually twill as the lining, which is actually very light lining for something like this. So often I actually line my bodices in cotton organdy or coutille, which is the same fabric <coughs> I make my uh, corsets out of. Or I might even use canvas, although that's very hot. Right. And unfortunate life decision. Sometimes. <laughs> does not breathe. It lasts forever. It does, but you know what you should not do with canvas? Also line your sleeves with it. Oh, and then yes. wear it to Phoenix Comic Con <laughs> <laughs> on the hottest year. <sighs> yeah, no, um, so don't do that. But the torso should be lined with something fairly stiff. And then you'll see here, you can see how this back panel is added actually on a separate tape where I've pleated the whole thing into that little space. I guess it's more like, it might be 12 inches. So hard to tell. People are always lying to me. That's closer to 18. 18? Mm -hmm. That's 16. 16. Usually I do 10, but 16 is fine. So um, I'm going to pass this around and you're all going to look at it and not judge me. So. Um, I did a very unfortunate thing with the facings in this one, but I was in a hurry. Yes. So they're kind of raw, but they do the job. Um, and it is a very soft construction, which was purposeful because I was wearing it to Wild Wild West Con, mm -hmm. which is ah, the wrong temperature for everything, but a very good time. <laughs> so, all right. The linen makes it a lot more bearable. This is the last piece you put in? All the rest of it's assembled, and then you add this last? Um, not quite last, but very close. So, uh, depending on how I'm trimming it out. Uh, but yeah, that back panel is one of the last things that go in. 
Normally, I actually do my sleeves very last. It doesn't appear as much that's tricky about this particular sling. No, and I'm wanting to know. I know that well, the tricky part is in the in the pleats. In the pleats. Um, the other tricky part is positioning the <coughs> sleeves because if you the sleeves are shaped, they're usually made out of two pieces and they have a slight curve in them. And if you twist that even a half inch, you will not be able to lower your arms. Ask me how I know. Zach, <laughs> <laughs> Statue of Liberty, right? <laughs> so who here has seen my green and gold dress? Yeah, all right. So I made this very flamboyant dress that is emerald green and very gold. And uh, what is it like? 60, what's the word? Is it like 10 yards of pleats at the bottom oh, or something like that? Easy. Pleats for days, so it is and very heavy. Yeah, oh God, no. <laughs> that's right. It was 30 feet, right? So it was 10 yards. I remember because I counted every foot. Um, <laughs> so, and it's polyester and it's just very warm but, oh. but luxurious. And um, I made it, and then I was like, oh, and I'm just going to wear it. As soon as I finish it, it's a terrible plan, but I'm going to do it. And so I show up at Gaslight Expo, and I put it on for the big W, and I get the sleeves on, and I realise, cat. Cat. I can't, I, this is You're my position. You're doing right? Right, all day, all day. 12 hours of Avita. I could do this. I could do this. I could not do this. I could not do this. I had this range of motion. And at, at a certain point, I just became very zen about it. <laughs> and the funny thing was, I was working on my outfit at the same time, and I'm like, oh, I'll just measure where the line goes on, on hers. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> sorts of relaxed bend of your arm but again if you get it wrong your arm's like did you ever to redo the sleeve oh, oh yes we did. We oh did. yes oh my goodness it was the first thing we did when we got back we're like rip those sleeves around <laughs> after i contemplated setting on on fire <laughs> there were tears and then i was chopped down from the edge by both temperance and the grand arbiter different times. There were a lot of phone calls and tears. Um, and then I pulled out the razor blade and everything was fine. Wow. <laughs> she uses clarification. She uses a razor blade to take out. Oh, she does not use a sea river. No. No, I'm like, I'm being hibernating. Kind of <laughs> yeah. And then she had me do the other sleeve. That's With so a razor good. blade. So yeah. a tattoo of a razor blade, we'll know why. Yes, you will. <laughs> there are two tattoos I'm now contemplating. Pockets. Uh, just, just the words. Yes, and right. apparently razor blade. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, uh, so that's me. So, um, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Uh, shall, so, uh, yes, we should. <laughs> so this is the foundation skirt, as it's called. And it sort of evolved from the petticoats that um, are in folkloric dress, 
and that, you know, farmers rule and that sort of pastoral thing. Also from, again, the 18th century, they'd wear sort of foundation garments of panniers and a, a petticoat over that. And then they'd have a petticoat, which is really a skirt, sort of showed a little bit under their overdress. And that, that arrangement of multiple pieces to make a dress continued to be the case really into the 20th century. So when you hear someone talking about a dress in the 19th century or earlier, they usually mean like multiple piece thing that you put on together and it looks like <coughs> one thing, but it's really made out of 10 million pieces. No, no. And it weighs a lot. Oh, As yes. you can tell, even that is what I call lightweight and still has a bit of heft to it. If you felt the green and gold, you would be like, <laughs> yeah, no, that, and also um, the ambassadorial oh. costumes. The yes. black and gold. The black and gold. Yeah. I'd love to hear how you talk to your chiropractor. So you see, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't have one. This way. It would be interesting. Yeah, probably. That'd be good. All right. Um, I, have, I have done acupuncture, and she's always like, you know, you have some sort of you know, energy that seems to be trapped places. Might be the whole Yeah, there you go. all right, here okay. we go. Let me praise the sartorial gods. Hold your position while I... Yes. Do you need help? Yeah, no, I got this. All right, good. You know, it takes me a little while to learn. I mean, there's so <laughs> much here, too. So the skirt is uh, about four yards, five yards, six if you add any on my <laughs> bust. <laughs> this is also a very lightweight garment on purpose. We'll show you the orange skirt. Mm -hmm. This one is unlined, which is unusual for me, mm -hmm. um, because again, I wanted something actually sort of conducive to wearing in our uh, climate, <laughs> yes. Um, it does have a pocket, which is absolutely historical. They put pockets in everything. They didn't carry handbags the way modern people do, or satchels. It would cut the lines of their garments, so they can't have that. No. So they'd put pockets everywhere. And some of the original garments will have a pocket in the top seam mm -hmm. of their bodice. They have one in the center seam that points this way, where they could like stuff a, a pocket watch. Um, they'll have them in the waistband. They'll have them in the sides of skirts. They put pockets everywhere, up the sleeve. You have a decorative one on the front mm -hmm. for your parasol. No, you never know. Mm -hmm. That parasol gets really in the way, so it's nice to throw a pocket in there. So, and then you can see, this is more typical, the very narrow space into which I will pleat um, that 60 inches of fabric to give me a really good, full back. Um, now, on my things and temperances things, we usually surge because we're steampunks, and um, we do what we want. <laughs> so, at this point, you can start to see how the shape is developed. So, normally, I mean, here you've already shed two layers. Yes. Uh, and a garment like that, you'd be already at three layers. That's true. That's um, true to get to this point. So now, you're to your fourth layer. Right, so this is my petticoat. And uh, the thing with getting a really nice bustle silhouette I highly recommend at least one petticoat. This, this garment I have underneath here is full of bones, so many of them. 
And uh, if you don't put a little softening on it in the form of a seat floor, you can see the bones. You can definitely feel them all the time, <laughs> but um, <laughs> you don't want to see them. Where's the surprise? So you soften it up with the petticoat, but also the petticoat helps support the hem of your skirt, keeps it from tangling around your ankles, and gives it a nicer drape. So you'll see with my petticoat here, I actually did a double ruffle on the bottom to give it a little bit more body even because my skirts tend to be very heavy and they need more, more support. The, the support group cannot be there all the time, so they need <laughs> a little internal support. And you could wear more than one petticoat. Yes, you could. You could have one with lots of ruffles. So much ruffles. Ooh. Ooh. petticoats. Um, we tend to just wear only one because <clears throat> there's a... Um, <laughs> But if I lived up in the northern climes, for instance, I've seen those people wear two, three petticoats, and one of them is quilted, multiple layers, and they're just like, well, and then I went to Ikea, and I got some of that batting they used to wrap their furniture, and I wrapped that around my waist, too, to be nice and smooth. Oh, they did you? crazy. Go for a corded petticoat. <gasps> they could... I've only done so once in terms of construction. <laughs> it was an ordeal. <laughs> so the thing about the corded petticoats, they're lovely. You take this very lightweight fabric and you sew channels of cords around it. Around, around, and around. All the way up. Is it a spiral or is it a series of circles? <coughs> it's a series of circles. It gets smaller as you go. But what if you built it in spiral? I mean, that would be fun too. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. It could be. Just as fun. Just as fun. Absolutely, Edward. The thing is, if you. You're just as blind. <laughs> and also just as mad because actually, normally with making a garment, you, you cut, you stitch, you press, you stitch, you press, you stitch, you press. You're not just stitching the whole time. Yes? Um, I have a question. Yes? But back to the bustle. Yes? Bring it. Um, okay. Did the bustle, did the bustle evolve from a practical standpoint? Or, okay, so it's not just something that was like, ooh, let's make her butt. Look at Becky's I mean, there was or a little bit of that, God. but yes, it's so big. So yes, you are right. They weren't necessarily in their ateliers saying to themselves, "Charles, old chum, you know what I think would be good is if we could make all the men stare at all of the women's asses." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you're right, Ferdinand. No. Um, there was probably a bit of that. There was definitely a sense of the visual yes. experience. But what happened is that, uh, in part, you know, seeing the natural form under garments was seen as very, like, loose. Racy. Very racy. We'd already had that with the Regency and the, these dresses in France where they'd get themselves wet and they'd run around <laughs> in these damp dresses, clinging to themselves as if they were 
Grecian statues, <laughs> and, um, and catching the flu, strapty castles and dying. But you know, it's what you do for fashion. So uh, by the time we got to the 1840s, the, the skirts were getting much larger. And part of that was a reaction to the Regency and a reaction to the French um, and the French Revolution. The French caused many reactions. They so many. They caused them all the time for me. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So, um, and those skirts in the, you know, 40s and 50s were very heavy, very bell-shaped, and very deadly. We'll talk about this more tomorrow. <laughs> My dental fabric was a really great way to set yourself on fire and also get tangled in the petticoats because you have so many. So it was a safety feature in the 1850s and 60s. They moved from corded petticoats and many, many petticoats to uh, the hoop skirt or farthingale um, or crinoline, the crinoline. And so now at least your skirts were not tangling around your ankles, much safer, but they were even further from your body. So let's say, for instance, you needed to, I don't know, use the only source of heat and noise in the house and step forward to the fireplace with your very large skirts that you can't feel. And you just wanted to, I don't know, grab the porridge or something off the hearth. And there you go, like a Roman candle. And everyone's like, well, there she That happens. So that was really fast. Because the other thing is... I lost three answers. <laughs> yes. Well, probably all together, because if you went to put someone out of fire and you were also wearing a hoop skirt, you too would catch on fire. And so what would happen is sometimes you'd have three or four young ladies go up at once. <laughs> there they go. Well, that's fewer girls to marry off. <laughs> Which is probably the 
Oh yeah, no, we should. Yes. <laughs> Another little invention from the Victorians. Right, they're so good. So you know all of those strapless dresses and off-the-shoulder numbers. Well, you know how many chemises can you have? I almost elbowed you in the cleavage. I'm well So they came up with this idea of like having an opening at the top of the shoulder. And then you could just unbutton it and the shoulder would drop and you'd tuck it away in your corset after you got dressed and it would not show in your bodice. So that's very handy. Bras don't do that. No. <laughs> no, they don't. Right, so, and now I won't flash you in confidence bits. As we continue. Yes, let's pass this around. So this is my one petticoat, fairly lightweight. Um, it's also about five yards, Connie. So if you're counting, we're up to what, like 15 yards of fabric? Yeah. It's really a small amount compared to some of my ensembles, because when you put more furbelows, you add the more fabric. And so how do you store these? What's your storage space like? So I just got rid of a lot of my modern time traveling clothes because who needs more than three garments? They're all black anyway. <laughs> so, um, and I hang my big things up in a, a wardrobe, a closet. Um, things like the underpinnings, I, I put in a bureau. And the petticoats, the chemise, the corset, I actually roll them in a sort of, um, yeah, just a little jelly roll sort of action. I don't bend the bones in the corset, but I just roll it, and then I just shove it in the bureau. Uh, the corset cannot be washed, because it has a different cleaning, but all of my underpinnings can go in the regular wash and um, be abused as much as I like, which is why you want lots of underpinnings, because the outerwear cannot be washed. It must be well, it's dry. Well, it could, but well, we, we don't. We need not with not with this trim. No. Not with this trim. It can't be washed. So, but um, you dry, need to dry. be able to clean it. Yes, dry clean. Dry clean. In periods in the nineteenth century, they actually would have carefully taken the garments apart, carefully unpicked any trim and hand washed it very delicately for the finer things. Or spot cleaned. Or spot and now cleaned. they did that with kimonos. Yes. They have historically, kimonos were yes. un taken completely apart and washed and stretched and flattened. And right, and then put them back, back together. together again. So, yes. Unbelievable. Your storage method. Yes. Is that period accurate? Um, so they would have like a, a, a clothing press or a wardrobe or something like that, or a bureau. And so big things would go in the, the press. Um, some things would have been hung, but of course space was very limited. Spaces were smaller. They also had fewer things. So a lady might have, uh, a regular sort of middle class bourgeois woman might have a walking dress, an evening dress, um, an at home work dress and perhaps something for Sunday. So she'd have maybe four, three or four dresses <coughs> only, yes. And what level of class is it going to like, did this kind of dress go down and how, where did it stop? Because obviously at some point. Right, no, it did. Well, I mean, some of it's very impractical for uh, like factory work. Mm -hmm. So you see a big change with like um, the fashions that the servant class wore 
And so you might see a lady's maid or a valet wearing more fashionable things, but they're not going to be as fashionable as their employers. Um, and so the silhouettes have to be narrower, less fussy, but they might have the fashionable shape. Um, a pair of bodies or stays or corsetry of some sort, all women wore something, whether it was corded, stiffened with starch, not boned, not you know, heavily corseted. They wore them because they needed the support and to keep their assets out of the way. But they wouldn't have worn, say, a bustle cage and all of these layers that are very fussy if they're lower class or <coughs> servant class even. Hence the phrase, don't get your tits in the ringer. Yes. But <laughs> <laughs> they would scale it down too, like it would be a, a simple bustle, like right. a little pad, um, just to give it, you know, an homage to like a more larger, fancy. fancier, right. you know, um, but say that would be a maid. A maid. Or, but then, you know, the lowest classes wouldn't even bother having the... And they probably only had one or two sets of garments at those low classes, right? Like their workaday clothes, which would be several layers of petticoats and a chemise or shift, and you know something like a corset and a, a blouse or a bodice or shirt waist. Um, but they wouldn't have all of this very highly tailored sort of things. So I am, you know. Usually the better stuff is kept in the family and occasionally you would pass on the lesser stuff that's outdated to your children. Yes, and things would get remade unless you were quite wealthy and then of course you didn't have time for that. You'd give those things to your the highest echelon of servants for them to remake it instead. Mm -hmm. The Victorians were actually tremendous recyclers and upcyclers. They repurposed everything away almost nothing which is why we have so few examples of certain things to see in museums and you know low-class clothing was used up well, this is something they've been doing for quite a while in the cast in the hand-me-downs that they were doing. oh forever forever yeah no it's a sort of modern that we don't do this it's what we were teaching with the renaissance precisely so this is the bustle cage i finished it with a safety pin because i am really professional <laughs> <laughs> and then you know you asked about storage I love this right it's like it's been rained on there's an incident with dye um, <coughs> so it looks like it would take up a lot of space how would you store that behold the accordion Horses carriage. <laughs> I can in a bustle and corset. 
you don't know, like to. Well, it's a strong imagine one. Imagine a police officer asking you to get out. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Look at that. It did happen to me. Oh. <laughs> and did. the response. Oh, my goodness. Um, so I may as well pass this to you. So the police officer claimed that I was following too closely to a car that did not exist on the road. <laughs> so I feel like he was just curious. <laughs> so he, he pulls me over. I had a friend also in a corset and, and ensemble next to me, but she was like more stripped down. And I was still like full sort of thing. And he's like, could I ask you to get out of the car? Yes, officer. <laughs> so there's this. I really need a chair to properly demonstrate. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Here we go. Perfect for me. All right. So, excellent. Here I am. Great. This is normally in the corset specific panel, but here we go. So I'm in the car. And I'm like this. He says, Could I ask you to step out? And I'm like, Oh, that sounds lovely. I would love to do that. <laughs> So then I have to do the process of like
use that story to like fundraise, <laughs> clowns, That's I don't know, funny. it's ridiculous. Yes. Um, this is kind of referring back to how you said it rains in Jersey, the sequence, or yes. the dye in Jersey. the dye, yeah. Um, how important was it for like the bustles and all that to be kept pristine? Or were they considered, oh, this is just the foundation and no one sees this, it can, it can get a stain on it and I feel no shame about that. It probably depends on the individual, much like with today. Um, so some people are willing to wear and they things that are full of holes, look very disreputable, and they have no shame. And other people are like, if it doesn't match, it's fresh, if everything is exactly right, I'm going to die of mortification. But they were underpinnings. They did get stained and torn, and you can see that they were repaired and used regardless. So some of these things, depending on the kinds of resources you had, you wouldn't really be able to keep replacing them. You might have only one, and you might have to make that one do for a year or two even, regardless of what happens. Um, I think normally, Ending, you had so many petticoats over the top that, that would really help keep something like your bustle clean, thank you, and also your corset. You wanted to keep your things that had baleen or, or, or whale, um, thank you. Um, but also the chemise was key because it was the one that was right up against your <coughs> body, so it was the one that was laundered regularly. And and those things would often be made out of white or unbleached fabrics so that you could you know, bleach them to get them really clean. And like what I did, I'm very colorful because I'm a steampunk and I do what I want. Um, and I just wanted a really colorful set of underpinnings. So because I, I mean, when I got married, I wanted them to go with my mermaid bloomers. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I needed to make a bunch of pink things to go with the bloomies. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, a very wealthy lady would be able to toss something. Would you like me to hold that for you while you... <laughs> so, like, the average woman, mm. would that type of thing, she'd be like, like uh, whatever, and just move on with the day? Absolutely. It, it takes me four to eight hours to sew up a new bustle cage. And depending on how much trim I'm going to do and how tired I am of cutting out fabric. And so I look at that and I say to myself, do I care four to eight hours worth if it has dye stains on it? <laughs> and so I think that that's very like, more in keeping with someone who has to be pragmatic about their time and resources. Whereas the daughter of an earl or a duke could say, Oh, Daddy, I need more pin money. Or, you know, Baron Rumpelstiltskin won't marry me because my bustle cage is stained. And Daddy's go, I'm tired of keeping you get a new bustle cage. <laughs> so, yeah. You have a proper lady to sew. Oh, yeah, you do. So, um, so, yeah, I think it depended, honestly. Uh, but the ones in, in the museums, you can see stains and wear and tear and repair on them. Uh, is there a pattern company you recommend, or do you make your own patterns? I mostly do not pattern draft. I do use a lot of 
patterns from truly Victoria. And everything I've worn tonight, I've been taking off, actually started with a truly Victorian pattern. Now I adjust them, I modify them, I change them to please myself. But her patterns have a wonderful silhouette and the instructions are very approachable as long as you have made garments before. They're not a good straight up beginner base. So if you have not even made a pillowcase, Please don't do that to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> if I have made a pillowcase. Yes. You can go to the chemise. Yeah. You could do a chemise. You have to work up to like this part. Um so There you go, honey, I'll make you a chemise. Oh. <laughs> I already have that. That's also true. Joseph knows he's got me wrapped around his finger. So <laughs> I got this week off. We're <laughs> <laughs> going to make that happen. So um, how much. are we doing on time? Ten thirty. Ten thirty. Four minutes. So we're not going to take off the courses because that's a lot of time. So, but this is, these are the final pieces you would have worn. The chemise, the split drawers, which are, I mean, these are scandalous split drawers. They're even split, split drawers. They're like a double facing, and so when I'm feeling very cheeky, I open up the closure, and when I want to be more, you know, respectable, I close them. Um, but honestly, for sitting in a car, or certain kind of movement, opening up the bottom of the leg, allows me to move more freely, so. No, no, I think we're going to make you a pair. I'm just gonna show you my things I love the fabric. They're so good, show, show them all. Oh, oh, nice. Yes, I do. You are crossing your genres, you might want to know genres, my uh, fandom. Your cheeky strumpet, <laughs> space opera two-timer. So, <laughs> three-timer, three-timer. <gasps> Cotton with linen on top, so it breathes. 
And that's what, about three yards that goes into the body, so I think? Well, yeah, I'm just going to see if you need a sleepy just Penetrate the uh, linen before you cut it. Depends. I usually don't wash for these things because I'm not going to ever launder them after I construct them. I do press everything on a very hot iron. Well, temperance takes mercy on me and presses them with a very hot iron. Um, and part of why you want to do that is because the linen does have a bit of a finish. And so if you use a hot iron and go in the direction of the grain, very straight rather than like around in circles, you will reinforce that sheen. Yes, I noticed that on your underskirt. Yes. Oh, it had a very nice sheen to it. Yeah, so. Even though it's an underskirt. Right, so the thing about linen is that the flax um, wants to break. So those flax threads want to break. And the more you crinkle it up, the more you wad it up, the more you bend it, the more those will break and lose their sheen. So you want to sort of seal it in with a hot iron and then um, just keep pressing straight and try not to crinkle it up. This needs another press. God, we won't get it tomorrow. I love you, but really hot. So, and this is a more accurate representation of one of my skirts. So, um, all the pleats, and you can see the insides that it is completely flat lined to give it support. And part of that is because, because it needs it because of the weight of the pleats. Okay. All right, so yes. Did you have any aha moments in San Diego when you went to a, a sewing event? Oh, costume That college. you uh, applied to these garments? So I was already constructing this piece but I did have um, aha moments that I will be applying to. This is actually a mock-up. <laughs> so I will be applying to the final garment. Um, so one of the things is that I did do with this is putting the edge of the skirt all the way to the ground under the pleats to support the pleats. And the other thing is in the really high-end ones, they would tack the center of the back pleat to the skirt uh -huh. to really support it. If you leave it loose, it sort of moves nicely, but it's nice to support your pleats so they they're not quite as crisp. They right. Hold that. So this is a very soft look. By next one, I want to be crisper. So that's the big one. There were some other things about the way seams were finished on the inside of like a work gown. Um, where they overcast all the seam edges and did all of this handwork. I was like, well, I suspected that was the case. <laughs> and it's lovely, but I probably still won't do that because I don't have a room full of small French women with tiny hands <laughs> working for a dollar a day. So, OSHA. Yeah, I know. <laughs> bad about OSHA and everything. So, this is the overskirt. In the polonaise, this is attached to the bodice, but in a more traditional bustle dress, it's separate. And um, this, all of this is linen on purpose, because that's just, it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is three pieces. Uh, so two wings and a front apron. One of the things I like about this one, it's called the wash overskirt. And it has a very cunning construction. 
where you can make it flat or washy. So it was intended to be but washed. It will be dry clean. Oh, yes. But, <laughs> but I can also take this out to the dry cleaner. So it goes from being a really ruched up garment. I bet they love you. To <laughs> yeah, they will appreciate me. They're going to love this one. So, yes. Uh, this had, what, like five yards in this? Probably six to eight yards in that one, Connie. The one you're holding. So. If you're still cold, Michelle, drape the skirt. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. We have time for questions until they kick us out. And are there pockets in these? Now, I do not typically put pockets in the overskirts because they are so lightweight that the pocket will show. Right. But if I wanted to, I could put a pocket in this waistband hanging down and I, it would be really fanny supported. Like a fanny pack. <laughs> Which we don't like to say that. Means <laughs> something a little bit colourful. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's true. Yes. It's a different, different, yes. different definition. Mm -hmm. So, but yes, you could uh, uh, hang one in they that. They didn't really name those girls Fanny, did they? I mean, not anymore. They did in the 19th century, but my aunt Fanny takes on. Setting the pleats, and then there was the ruching. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that and she handmade the bias trim. Um, no, that's what you do mm -hmm. if you want it to match. So, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. What kind of fabric did they use? So natural fibers. They did use natural fibers. Absolutely. Synthetic fibers did not happen until Rayon. the 20s and 30s. We start. Rayon came in for certain in the 30s and was big in the 40s. By the 50s, you start getting polyester. Ah, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, they were like, plastic? We love it, let's make fabric. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, Don't get it close to the fire. The right? Again, <laughs> 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 that was a hoop skirt. <laughs> they used silks? Or they used a lot of silk because they had the money, money for it. Okay. Linen was 
wildly common until the cotton gin and cotton became more affordable. Cotton was even sort of like uh, frowned on a, a oh, bit okay. for a while. Although India cottons and things were printed, India cottons, especially in the Regency, were, were turned into dresses. Um, wool was okay. very popular, extremely popular. And there was even the, um, you know, so there's this wholesome underpinnings movement where they were like, if you want to be really healthy, your best bet is to make all of your underwear out of wool and go. Mm -hmm. oh. yes. So the good thing is they had different weights of wools, but still no wool smells really sweat. Like a sheep. Like a sheep. <laughs> yeah, and I personally am allergic to lanolin, so I'm always like, no! That's a terrible idea, poor Fanny! <laughs> I don't know if you can 
If you feel the edge, you will feel how thin it is as well, like more comfortable. So this is actually made out of two layers of fabric, but it's very thin. Right, so you can make a corset out of canvas if you want, but it will be so heavy and stiff and scratchy, and it will stretch, whereas the couture will not stretch on you very much because it's woven in a herringbone, so the, the weave means it fights against any stretching. So, however, who else needed to feel up the corset? Yes, it's a wholesome panel. <laughs> I'm coming over to you. Yes, we're saving you for last. Uh huh. I'm thirty. Oh, <laughs> so how do you clean? So I clean mine with a solution of vodka, water, and I like to use papa because I'm not going to drink it. <laughs> and uh, did you need to feel it up? Um, so the pop on is high alcohol content, will make you blind. Yes. <laughs> Don't drink it, it comes in a plastic bottle. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, no, it's, you can buy like a litre for three dollars. Great for cleaning. Medicinal part. Yes. <laughs> Um, maybe made with potatoes, we don't know. Is it nice? No, it's probably radiated from Chernobyl. <laughs> <laughs> but it does a job on the cleaning. So, I use really, really cheap vodka because it will not stain and ultimately it will not leave an odour behind because usually vodka is odourless. Pop off! Has a little the smell of death and Chernobyl. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little undertone of Russian misery in there. <laughs> yeah, probably. No, um, usually you usually get it like Circle K, which is a fine purveyor of alcohol. Uh, or like deep in your fries, um, at like bottom shelf, where people weep at the alcohol. <laughs> so, thank you, Tempest. I'm going to drink it. No. Alcohol is a great cleaning agent if you need to kill things, but you want high, high proof. And so the filthier something is, the less water you want to mix. You can actually just use straight pop-up if you want. So it yes. might smell like a you yeah, distillery. You will. <laughs> yes. Does it have to be ethyl alcohol instead of isopropyl? Um I suspect isopropyl will work, but it might be more expensive than the pop-up. <laughs> and Maybe. you don't want to drink that either. No, do not drink that either. The thing is to get a very high alcohol content because what you're going to do is kill the bacteria in your corset and you don't want to get it wet in the traditional way. So you stretch your corset out really flat in a spritz bottle and you spray it with your alcohol, ethyl or isopropyl. This is why the, the policeman pulled you over. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
so. Um, but you, you spritz the garment, and you can do this with a number of things, as long as they can handle some dampness, although the way alcohol dampens things is different from water. I'm not a chemist, so... Alcohol evaporates very quickly. Thank you! Okay. Thank you, rocket scientist in the back. The uh, pop vodka is a high percentage content of alcohol, but there's still water in it. But, but, so it'll take a little longer to dry. But not so bad. You can just throw isopropyl at it, too. So you're going to spritz it, lay it out flat, and then uh, take a towel, a dry towel, and sort of pat down any place that stains, and usually you can lift the stain with that towel as long as it's clean. And then you are going to roll your corset gently, like a jelly roll, with another towel to pick up some of the moisture. And then this is the most important step. You're going to leave it very flat until it is bone dry. Here, that's about two hours. <laughs> that's three weeks <laughs> so but you want it to be absolutely bone dry otherwise oh, in dehumidifier right? <laughs> oh yeah no otherwise it will or rust next <laughs> or next April no but you're right it's so humid or oh, Seattle where it will definitely be next April before it's dry so that's how I clean my corsetry um, it's also how I would clean some of my bodices if I just needed to freshen them <laughs> and I couldn't get to a dry cleaner. So let's say I decide to hair off to Mars for a month and you know, my lady's maid says, no, I'm not going to Mars with you. Have you met the Martians? <laughs> they're, they're very cheeky and they're like fighting a civil war and it's ridiculous. So um, I might have to clean something on the road or if I got a stain on it, um, uh, the isopropyl or the pop-off, which is my go-to, would be a good way of like temporary in-between fix before I could get it to a dry cleaner. So that's. I wanted to know if the Martians wear the wings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, just the poles, oh. just the Polish hussars. Although the Martians really could take some, you know, like notes from the hussars because I don't think the civil war has been going well. We'd have to talk to Burroughs about that. He's the historian reported on Mars. Clearly, as a stodgy white fellow from the 19th century, totally accurate reportage. <laughs> <laughs> I actually love Bur Burroughs, and I like, you know, the John Carter stories. Um, if you like perfect prose, it's good. It's very perfect. Um, but, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> So yes, they are fighting. They can. They should have the hussar wings. Great. Yeah. No. Right. We should all have hussar wings. So good. Yes. Did you have another question? No. No. All right. Do you? Yes. I, I just want to say that um, your assistant or whoever that does not want to go to Mars yeah. clearly does not have any such interest in Mars because how else are you going to bring civilization to the roots unless you bring the colonial goodness that is queen and country to the Martians. And I've told Kitty, she's a very good ladies maid, but I've said, Kitty, they don't even have a flag. 
We How have to go. How can you have a country without a flag? They need us. Yes, Papa Tea, which we will of course take from India or one of our other countries. <laughs> yes, Madeline. I like you. What grew into in the early 20th century, where the the woman might have one dress, but there was interchangeable cuffs, collars, cuffs and collars. Um, actually, I think that comes more out of menswear because in the later part of the 19th century, gentlemen started getting movable cuffs and collars, and even disposable ones, because. That was the part of their garment that got so filthy. It would be very hard at a certain point to clean it. And it needed <coughs> starching. It needed a lot more care. And more pop-up. And more pop-up, <laughs> right? And we all know it's hard to get the pop-up from the Russians when you're going towards that front and it's winter. Works out poorly. So um, they actually started using like uh, celluloids. Very bad plan. And then they... We'll talk about that tomorrow and the death of fabric and the explosions. And um, <laughs> then they started using like basically paper, like cardstock, that um, they might sort of give the semblance of stitching, but it was really just like a surface design. And those they would actually throw away when they were done with that. And uh, you were saying that they would write notes on their cards. Yes, on their cards. Clerks with the celluloid, we, we didn't get into this tomorrow, but uh, um, the celluloid, uh, when it became available, were exceedingly popular with clerks because scratch paper or note paper was, paper was expensive. So they weren't going to give them paper, like, you can't just make notes and, you know, it has to be, you know, for a reason, for a document. You can't just have it for adding up tallies and stuff. So they would use their celluloid cuffs and write on those. And the reason why they liked the celluloid is because then you could just push it right off. Because it was that plastic. Of course, more like a plastic explosive. But hey, this is that part. <laughs> but they would take they would they would make their notes on the cuffs, and then they could just clean them, but not by Hopefully. <laughs> I mean, you know, that whole gas lighting and candles and open fireplaces everywhere, very safe. And the pipe smoking. And the pipe smoking, yes. And all that popcorn. Yeah, and all the popcorn, <laughs> yes. So, we are going to wrap up, thank you. Thank you. We went almost two hours, so, or oh, an hour and a half. But thank you so much for joining us tonight. We'll be here all day tomorrow doing panels. And someday we're having the Tea Scout meetup in the con suite at 2 p.m. So please come and have tea. All right. Thank you to our clergy member from the Druids. Appreciate it. I feel very, you know, blessed. Now go put on clothes. Yeah, I'm going to go put on clothes. Thank you. Or a robe. Or, or a robe. What are we doing next? We're getting cocktails. We're getting cocktails. Right, I better put on clothes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening.
Yes. I lost my Uncle Dickie in a celluloid uh, <laughs> while he was trying to put out my Aunt Fanny. <laughs> it was a big, big family tragedy. <laughs> Fortunately, we still had about 20 other brothers, aunts, and Thank you, Victorian Yeah. Yeah, and despair, and despair, and despair, and despair, and despair, and despair. Victorian era, they kind of made family members like princes. 